minor details coming to you from an underground bunker in the 305. Help, I'm stuck. He's holding me here. The door isn't locked. No, I just cut but off the your one hands. out to the door is. <laughs> I mean, the one out to the outside door is. I'm your host, Chimp. And to my side is the Magical one Mystery Marcus. Magical Mystery Marcus. How you doing? I'm doing all right. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. I'm doing good. Nice. Just grinding away. Grinding away the days working and whatnot. We got a cool episode today, though. I'm, I'm pretty yeah. excited about today's episode. We're going to go back into the memory banks for this game for sure. Good old Nostalgia Bank. So we got a bunch to talk about, some great music to listen to. We're going to break down it. We're going to break it down musically, and we're also going to talk about it, the history and um, just overall, Marvel versus Capcom 2. That's what we're talking about today. This game is old. This game is like over 20 years old. Yeah, it still holds up today, too. People it's still, still a fun game. People still play it competitively. Yes, yes. I emulate the game personally. Unfortunately, there's no other medias to buy from, if I'm correct. We'll get into that. First, I want to talk about, always talk, talk about the website, audioghost.miami, because we're from Miami, and that's where you'll find all of our episodes. You'll see the the, the little ghosts jamming out. Uh, we just did a great a couple of episodes, um, a look back on the Dreamcast. Please check that one out. And Marcus had a great episode where he went through the lore of um, Homeworld. So that, yes. was, that was a lot of fun. A semi-audio essay on, like, the alien species. And I really liked how we um, put in the different music from the different uh, species in, in the game. Yes. And it was, it was pretty cool. The music for Homeworld is also really good. Check that out. Yeah, listening back to our old episodes and then stuff now, we've definitely gotten a little more refined, a little f focusing more on the production value. Before, we were just kind of, like, just, like, riffing, riffing, but now we're focusing more on a solid product yes so you can enjoy it yes as and much as we like making it absolutely and we're also trying to incorporate some more of that podcasting 2.0 the different features uh just to touch on that again it's basically upgrading podcasting what podcasting is a lot of people don't realize it's just a it's called an rss feed it's literally a text file that's readable by humans and machines and it just points to an audio file you know it just has episode one episode two and it literally just points to an audio to an mp3 hosted somewhere so that's the and that's old technology that's like 20 years old or more yeah but and, it could still be utilized and what podcasting 2.0 does is it just adds more tags and it just adds different features like i was talking about before chapters uh different chapter markers different images i'm going to start using transcripts so anyone who's hard of hearing or if you're learning the language you could literally follow in real time on your app as we're talking. And that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. More ac uh, more accessibility is good accessibility. Yes, absolutely. And there's like chat functions and everything. But there is a catch. You got to have a modern podcasting app. Newpodcastapps.com. Oh, it's an app. No, it's different app. See, the, the thing about Podcasting 2.0 is it's an open source project. It's not a walled garden where you have to have an Apple product. You have to have Spotify app. You have to do this and that. No, it's different developers making different apps, but they're following the same um, the same namespace, the the um, the, the same guidelines uh, to, to to take advantage of these features. 
just to clarify, you can still download it on like the app stores, right? Yeah. It's not like you need to go to GitHub and then download the stuff from there. Okay, so it's it's available through your um, app store yeah, application. If, uh, just to make a couple recommendations, if you are in, um, an iOS person, Apple, I would do Castamatic. That's C-A-S-T-A-M-A-I-T-C. T-I-C. <laughs> that's a great app. Um, I definitely enjoy that one. Uh, support developers if you can. And other than that, Podverse... On Android, there's a bunch of them. There's uh, CurioCaster if you don't like apps, you want to just do it on the web. But anyway, enough th- enough about that. Let's, let's get, get into, into the meat and the potatoes. Let's get into some music. Classic. Ready? That's right. Are you ready, Marcus? I am ready. Are yes. the listeners ready, though? Marvel versus Capcom 2. New Age of Heroes. Chimp just came from that. That's how good that was. That's it's how so awesome. Tight. That's how smooth and tight it is. And the whole soundtrack is like this. It's super, super tight. Now I remember a lot of people not like, at least in my experience, not liking the soundtrack because it was so jazzy. Oh man, I I feel sorry for those people then. And this is me playing. Actually, I was playing this game before I was anywhere near jazz into jazz. But I remember loving the soundtrack and. And listening to it now, like all these memories flood back. Like I still remember all these lines. Mm. Crazy. I feel like if you're a gamer, I mean, of course, people who listen to this probably play games. But what I'm trying to say is a lot of games, I feel, shaped my musical taste in the future. And Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is one of those primary games that definitely made me look at the music of games or at least fighting games in a different light when I was younger. Yeah, I mean, especially a lot of fighting game music was like heavy metal. It was also a time of like Guilty Gear. Yeah, with like punk rock, right, rock like, and roll type of feel. Yeah, which was great too. Don't get me yeah. wrong. It was it was dark just, stalkers with its more dark tones. It was a different feel. It's a yeah. completely different feel. But this is complete jazz feel, like crazy. Um, so what are what are your memories of, of Marvel's Capcom Two? My memories, believe it or not, are mostly from the Xbox 360. Ah, okay. But so the only later reason, on. Yeah, later on, because I did play it when I was younger, but only when I went to a certain movie theater down here in Miami, because they had that arcade cabinet. Oh, yeah, in Aventura, right? That, yes, in Aventura, and another location was Dave & Buster's, which is mm. a big arcade place. That's still there? It is. It's still there. It, oh. I'm, I'm amazed by that, tell you the truth. Um, they also have, like a new combo with drinking. So like now you could play games and drink. So for the adults, go check it out. But are, are they paying you? No, they're not. This is not mm. a sponsored. This is not sponsored. Mm. We're not sponsored yet. So anything uh, we bring yet. up, it's just our love for the product. <laughs> there is no yet. <laughs> yet. But um, we're sponsored by our listeners. So please send us money. <laughs> give it, give give me your money. I like money. I want it. Then your checks too. But anywho, that was that's my most memory of the game because 
going to Dave and Buster's and this certain movie theater, it was like a special time, you know, it was a special treat for, you know, for the weekend or whatever, me and my dad or my mom, for instance, would take me. But later on in life, from those memories, I rebought it on the Xbox Arcade Live and played a lot of it on there. And that's the primary place where I like did everything. I got the secret characters. I fought my friends. Great memories. And of course, the music, the driving, one of the driving factors for that game that made me come back. Because the thing I like about Marvel vs. Capcom music, it always, it still sounds fresh. It sounds fresh in my opinion. Compared to like other newer fighting games, this still has its own unique sound, especially from the horns. So get ready for that. This is why I like Marvel vs. Capcom 2 stage. The stage music is primarily the horns. But of course, the whole song together, Compose, is very good throughout the what we will be listening to. But just concentrate on the horns. I believe these are electronic, so it's probably played on a keyboard and through an interface. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about the composers, uh, Tetsuya Shibata and Mitsuhiko Takano. Which were no slouches. Uh, they worked for. They both worked for Capcom. Um, Tetsuya Shibata worked a lot on Resident Evil, Power Stone, Devil May Cry, Monster Hunter. Um, he's definitely been around. He's like, like a. He's probably like an in-house composer. Probably they they rely on him for a lot of stuff. Obviously. Yes, and then you had um, uh, Mitsuhiko Takano, which was he. It looks like he he was really a drummer. But he did a lot of um, sound, um, sound design, uh, sound composing. Same thing, uh, Street Fighter, Mega Man, Resident Evil. You know, all these Capcom IPs. So they stayed w- with Capcom. But they were the main two composers on this album. On this album. <laughs> on this, this album, game. yeah. So we'll mention their names as we play the songs. But uh, So then your, your main memories of the game were on, on the Xbox. Yeah, Xbox. On, on 360. 360, specifically. Yeah, no, I mean, like I said, like the, even people are still playing it competitively now. And it was, I mean, it was a broken game because you had those zero to death combos. Yeah. Yep. You know, if, if you know how to do it, you can keep people, someone in the corner and it was over. I don't know why this keeps coming up. Sentinel. Sentinel was pretty strong. I remember a lot of people using him. But even for someone like me, like... Oh man, this game came out when two thousand. So it came out in, in Japanese arcades two thousand. So probably not too much later. Two thousand three, maybe in America. No, no? like directly after. Because oh, okay. I remember, I must have been like what ten or eleven. Because I had it for the dream. I definitely had it for the Dreamcast. I, I'm sure I still have the copy somewhere. This is awesome, awesome game. But I remember playing in the arcades. Like my early memories, the the one before this, Marvel vs. Capcom one, mm, yes, uh, Clash of Superheroes, and they also had X Men vs. Street Fighter. Mm. So just to get into the history a little bit, um, Marvel vs. Capcom two, it's really the fourth one in the series, um, in the um, the versus series done by Capcom. By Capcom, exactly. Thank you. Uh, in the nineties, X Men was really popular. Yes, it was. Yeah, they had a TV show and everything. Yes, super popular TV show. And Capcom was smart. They they set up a deal with Marvel to get um, exclusive licenses to make games. 
The first one that came out, I believe, was The Punisher. It was like a side-scrolling beat-em-up, which was really popular at the time. On arcades? In arcades, exactly. Yeah. And I think it also came out on the SNES. I'm not too sure. But then they started doing the, the Versus series. And they started off with just X-Men. It was X-Men Children of the Atom. Mm. And it was based on, um, like we're talking about, like, like now it's in the anime. The cartoon. The it, cartoons, yeah. It, it was based on one of the actual um, time, uh, timelines, what are they called? Um, season? Seasons, like like saga, like um, a oh, story like, arc. Yeah, yeah like a story, a story arc. arc, yeah. Like a Frieza series or whatever. But the, that game was really cool. Um, and that's really where it started. From there, they came out with X-Men vs. Street Fighter. That one I definitely remember playing a lot of. That, 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 was, that was a really cool game. And then it was a, it was 2v2. The, the first one was just 1v1. This one became 2v2. And then when Marvel vs. Capcom 1 came out, that was... Still 2v2, right? Yeah, and I'm pretty sure this also came out on the Dreamcast as well, the, the first one, Marvel vs. Capcom 1. But now these were all on Capcom's arcade systems, the, the same ones that had Street Fighter 2, uh, Dog Stalkers, like, like you were mentioning earlier. Mm-hmm. So that's basically what they were going for. They were taking this IP that they had the license to now, the exclusive license, and you know adding that Street Fighter kick. A small little change can bring about big fucking movements it got really popular people loved like they sold a lot they were some of the best arcade cabinets to sell not the best like the most popular most popular Mm -hmm. yeah in fact on the the first one children of the atom they had akuma as a secret character because it was all you know x-men characters but you had akuma as um a secret person you had to fight and then unlock yeah yeah and they, they saw people love that so that's when they started including street fighter but then Marvel's Capcom, they brought in more of the Capcom IP. It was it just wasn't Street Fighter. They knew they had some good stuff. I want to play just a little bit of since I was saying they were still um, working on their old arcade system. It was called the CP System Two, uh, CPS Two, the same stuff that had uh, Street Fighter and everything. Marvel vs. Capcom Two was special because they stopped working on their own arcade stuff and they just instead of making a new one. And developing their own stuff they said okay we're going to use sega stuff then um the naomi uh, hardware which was the same as the dreamcast hmm. that's why the port to the dreamcast was so was so seamless oh okay so they were just it was just an easy little port i guess yeah exactly so they're like okay we're not going to do our own stuff let's oh we're going to do the dreamcast so just listening to the music from marvel vs. capcom one clash of superheroes you're going to hear a big difference in the um, in the music yeah quick comparison <laughs> This was the opening. Still has that classic Street Fighter feel. Yeah. Is that a guitar? <laughs> it is. I don't know. <laughs> and you have to imagine a bunch of like characters jumping in and out of the screen oh yeah yeah but this right here is stuck in my head it is so ingrained into my brain this the player music, selection music. the player selection scene right here i remember this one and i didn't play a lot of this one i went back to marvel vs. capcom just to play it at a time but i yep this is pretty iconic 
And then when you finally choose all uh, the characters, it's the versus music. That like, is super Street Fighter right there. Fucking hilarious, man. And then just let's just play one of the songs. We'll, we'll do a theme of Captain America. Once again, just to like prime your ears for that old sound, like that classic, like Get your ears ready, ladies and gentlemen. Exactly. And then you'll see how They're much about it to changed. be primed. This is uh, the theme of Captain America. Guile, anyone? Oh, yeah. Yeah, kind of. The beginning sounds a little bit like the Guile theme. So the, the old versus games were really just like 15, 16 characters um, that they had, you know, half like seven from Street Fighter and, and or seven from Capcom and, and six from Marvel. And it was always a small roster. And as, and each character had their own music. They had their own stage. They had their own theme and everything. Just to quick clarify, uh, this is Marvel vs. Capcom 1. Right, right. But, but but it was the same theme for all of them, for X-Men vs. Street Fighter, uh, Marvel's, Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter. They all, like, it, it, it was, you know, it was not a huge thing because when Marvel vs. Capcom 2 came out now they have 52 characters and you're bringing in tons of people from all over the Capcom universe and the Marvel universe and the Marvel yeah. people I don't even know uh, Marcus was earlier pointing out one of the characters I'm like who the fuck is Spiral? I don't know. Oh, the her. hands lady. The hands lady. That's what I call her. That's, <laughs> the hands. that's how I remember her, the lady with all the hands. And I barely remember, but it was so cool to have, you know, like Jill Valentine and Ryu versus Hulk and um what's her name? Roll. Roll, yeah. You know? And then yeah. you had three special characters that were made just for the series. You had um, Joe Valentine. Not Joe Valentine. No, no. I'm she's sorry. from Resident Evil. Hey. I just said it, too. <laughs> I literally just said it. No, what was her name? Ruby. Um, Ruby. Ruby Hart. Yeah, Ruby Hart. Uh, yeah. She's, she, she, um, she had her own, sh- um, her own stage as well. She, the, 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 the one with the ship. She's the pirate lady. The pirate lady. You had Amingo, which was the cactus guy. Who reminds me of Samba de Amigo, but I know that's not where it's from. And you had Son Son, which was like you know like your Goku kind of character, but female. It's you know it's based on that um, on that Chinese, the Journey to the West. Journey to the West, and actually they they do tie it in. Um, her father is a, a character in an early Capcom game from the arcades from like the eighties. Oh, okay. So they're kind of, it's like an in universe connection. Exactly. I thought that was pretty yeah, cool. It's interesting. Yeah. So obviously they didn't have music for every single 50 of oh, sorry, 56 characters. That would just be way too taxing. Yeah. That, but they still had awesome, awesome music. Um, so real quick, uh, it came out in 2000 to me, the, the arcade version in Japan was a lot better. And for a couple of reasons I'll mention right now. Well, I mean, the arcade and the Dreamcast version, because you could actually take your VMU, you know, your um, your memory card. The thing that went on top of the controller, the Sega Dreamcast. The memory card, exactly, yeah. yeah. And it was mobile, so like you said, you could take it off and you could take it somewhere. So you gained points in the game from playing on the Dreamcast. You actually gained points from taking your VMU to the arcades and since the hardware was just like a Dreamcast, they had a little thing to put in your VMU. And then, like, you know, if you had characters unlocked on the Dreamcast, you could play them in the arcade. 
and you could gain points from playing the arcade version only. So you had special points from playing at home, you had special points from playing at the arcade, and you also got special points from playing online through the Dreamcast. Now, that's not a feature that we had in the States on the Dreamcast. Nope. <laughs> you had later, nope. I think, on the Xbox, right? Yep, there was Xbox. Online play? Yeah, yeah there is online play on Xbox because, but, you know, through Xbox. But not on Dreamcast. Nope. It's the same fucking Dreamcast that we had internet. And we talked earlier in our Dreamcast episode how there was a lot of online connectivity. But Capcom was the one handling the, um, I guess, like the, the networking. Yeah, the servers. Yeah. So it wasn't like you went into a server room and, you know, and did matchmaking. It, it was literally just like one Dreamcast versus another Dreamcast. It was more like P2P. Uh, peer-to-peer peer-to-peer exactly yes um i just want to mention something real quick how funny it is like back in the 90s early 2000 a lot of games try to promote the gamers themselves to have like an item and bring it into like a blockbuster or or like an arcade i think that's died down a lot nowadays obviously since arcades are not really a thing anymore but for example, another example of what you mentioned with the VMU was Pokemon Snap, where in Blockbuster they had like actual uh, develop develop film places where you go in, you bring your like oh memory card God, with the um, Nintendo sixty four, and then you're able to develop the Pokey uh, films you captured in game. Holy shit! I completely forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. There's a couple other ones if if um, I I remember, but that that was a whole trend for a while yeah i mean and yeah and and it, exactly exactly what you're saying there was different things you could do as well it was just a lot more and that's why sega was really chasing the whole arcade thing like you're saying they thought arcades was the future because there was so much more innovation there you know the stuff you had at home wasn't as powerful i just want to mention very quickly this is another example as i brought up in our sega dreamcast episode this is sega thinking that this is it. This is what gaming's gonna be. While their competitors were already looking ahead for the like next console and like all this other stuff. Little did they know. Yeah, little did they know that that would cause them to fucking fail. Sega would be the house of the dead. <laughs> but anyway, so yes, great game. Um, I played it a lot on the Dreamcast. Let's get into some music. Yes. Want, let's. The and main this will be we're here. the first three are my picks. I just want to give a little bit of a general overview why I picked those three. I feel out of the three, those are where the horns kind of the horn section kind of really shine through, in my opinion. And I feel for this game, that's the most memorable thing about Marvel vs. Capcom 2 is that like mini horns. And I love the sound. I personally love the sound. I haven't heard it from any other game. And it's so unique. So we're going to start off with the desert stage. So once again, all the characters did not have their own stages or their own music. So they were just kind of based on, they're kind of named on what, what it was. So this is a desert stage. And now, this actually was a mingle stage. I'm sorry. So, it's, oh yeah, so yeah. The, the three special characters had their own stages. I just want to point out something very quickly as a musician um, who's worked on other projects before. When you are given something very specific like the first Marvel vs. Capcom like make Captain America's theme you, you got you have to limit yourself to the character and what they represent while in two I feel they had way more freedom 
because they didn't need to specify a certain character's attributes through the music. It was just them coming up with great fucking music. Yes, absolutely. And I'm sorry, I do want to mention the names of the uh, composers for the first one. The music we played was Masato Kuda and Yuko Takehara. But now we are going to play... What was it? Desert music. Desert music. And this is actually done by Tetsuya Shibata. Again, you can't go wrong with Basa beats. that guy saying all i heard at the end was wooey he's like oh man how's the weather out there it's getting hotter and hotter every day and after that i'm like what the fuck is he saying wooey wooey i thought i i bet they were like think of the most like generic american like western stuff to yell right and but like if you listen to like the melody moves through the different instruments like um, obviously, it's it's those horns that, that that's carrying carrying the main melody. Then you have your little orchestra hits that kind of like do like a little soft melody behind it. You know, like it's like it's chasing it. Yeah. Well, what I really like so far, um, I really like the uh, breakdown and the rebuild. You know, with the guy yelling in between. That's I really like those moments because that's real. That's a big thing in Latin music too. Like a lot of this is very a Latin inspired song. You oh know? yeah. For so sure. uh, again with the bossa nova in it, and you can't go wrong with that, of course, as a drummer. Um, and again, it's very. I like the dynamics of the drumming. So I like when he's going really low. And then like gets louder. I also like the ride hits. The ride hits are probably my favorite part also. Yeah, it's like a desert stage. Oh, it's a different game. And <laughs> there's um it's one of the only stages that actually moves when um when if you're playing as a Mingo, there is a cap in the back that there's a sombrero that actually like jumps up and down. Oh, and as it, you it, move around as him? At, um, if he gets hit, yeah. Oh, okay. Let's finish off a song here.
That's a real bossa thing with the with the vocals. Yeah. Like little like soft hits of the vocal. Yeah. I'm really liking the ghosting that he does throughout the song. I like that open hi-hat at the end right there too. hear it now yeah does he say like pizza i swear i heard a pizza in there i think he said all those cute hotties or something down at the east side beach uh beach Everything is way too clean and on point to not be MIDI. Like, it's MIDI controlled. Yeah, MIDI controlled. Yeah. And and just for those who don't know, MIDI is basically just like a computer language where you could just, like, input what note to hit at, you know, at what time, how fast, the intensity, all that stuff. And then they just have samples, in this case, like horn samples or piano samples or drum samples to, um, to play the sound at, at that moment. And... That was really common, obviously, in like in like old games, because yeah. But it just that the, when you hear how clean it is and how like perfect the timing is, like it's got to be that. Yeah, it has to be. And and for a fighting game, I feel you need that that music to be really tight. You know, there can't be like a random like Jimi Hendrix s jam on a guitar or something, right? Where he just fully takes over. Because that would kind of break the feel of the game, like the fast intensity that Marvel vs. Capcom 2 as a gameplay is. So these songs need to be tight, but they also need to have like a certain amount of um, like a fast time signature, essentially. Anything you want to say about that song? Or you want to go to the next one? I really like the ghosting. So what ghosting is very quickly as, uh, for drums is you um, don't use a lot of energy to hit the uh, the drum or the note you just let recoil hit it so it's like a light hit but you can still hear it obviously so that's what ghosting is so in a sense you're not you're not hitting the drum as hard you're just lightly tapping it but like you're not even controlling the tapping you're just letting rebound or gravity just take over for a little bit right because when you hit the, the the stick when you hit the drum with the stick you know it bounces back Yes. And if, if you, if you kind of hold it with your hand to control it, like to kind of guide it, it's going to come back down and hit it, right? Yeah, yeah. And that's what the ghosting is, is like when you do the first hit, you use the momentum of that energy throughout the song to just very lightly hit the drums. Very lightly. Gotcha, gotcha. With very little energy. In other words, a high-level drum technique. <laughs> yeah, high-level <laughs> drum thingy. If you want to learn more about ghosting, listen to a man named Bernard Purdy. He will teach you everything. Pretty pretty. Already shuffle. So you want to get into the factory song? Let's get on to the factory song. Right. So the factory song is this composed. I think it's actually done by Mitsuhiko Takano. Yes, it is factory stage. Composed and arranged. Mitsuhiko Takano, Marvel vs. Capcom 2. This is the factory stage. 
know, it's a little more like jazzy. Yeah, I like bass. the hi-hat action in this. This is why I picked this one, because of that hi-hat action. Bass is tight, like also in tone. Oh, did you hear the little bongos? I didn't hear that before. Yep, yep. Just adds a little texture. Yeah, um, I just want to point out for that song, I like when the bass, the piano does like a little piece, it does like a little solo, and then the bass does a wow, like type of sound. Yeah, yeah. It's, it slides up and down. Yeah, wow. yeah, 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 <laughs> I, I really like that part. Oh, uh, sick. It the just, bass is fucking going mad the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, it has to be controlled to some aspect, because someone doing that must have been like... Like, tired as hell. <laughs> I don't know. Like, the technique on that one, I, I wouldn't be surprised if that was, like... An actual... Like, digital input. Because, like, I mean, like, you... Yeah. At, at, at this point in, in, I guess, like, music, audio engineering, you can do direct input into a computer. It's just, like, it's it's the way that it gets processed. It's not going to sound the same as an amp or something like that. Yeah, yeah. But It's like the post stuff. But to get that level of technique, like the way the bass was playing, I wouldn't be surprised if they plugged it and they played it. Oh, just like just a very quick. And then like, let me get this down. Exactly, just to get that because yeah. like it's hard to do that on, on a fucking keyboard. Yeah, I would imagine. So I mean, yeah, again, very tight bass. Also tonally, it was kind of tight. I, I think you know it wasn't as a it wasn't a deep bass. Obviously, right. it was. I feel like it was tuned pretty high, or maybe he's just playing higher notes. Yeah, you got to remember that these games are going to be mastered for TV speakers or in this case, like arcade speakers. Oh, yeah. That's the important thing. The the actual output. I didn't think about that. Yeah. You're not really going to hear that. Like if you're, I mean, on your TV speakers, you're not going to hear it very well. Or if you hear it at the arcade, it's already so loud with a bunch of other music going on from different arcade cabinets and people talking that they're really focusing on like like the mid to high sounds to stand out. Yeah. That's, that, that's what's going to bring people in. Like, you know, when you think about it, these arcade cabinets are trying to sell themselves. So like what's going to pull people's attention to that cabinet? 
Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And another thing, hi hat action. Just got to say, wow. Oh yeah, very impressive. Yeah, he's going intent. That's something. I'm not tooting my own horn or anything, but I that's something I could play. You know, like for real, if I took time and practice and everything. And that that sounds like fun to play. That sounds like a lot of fun to play. Only because a lot of a lot of people I play with, they um wanna either keep it more laid back in terms of music. But in my opinion, I wanna play more double hi hat action and more fast intensity like this. Yeah, no, it's it's super super tight, but it's super fast too. It's yeah, going a hundred miles an hour, and that, like that's where like when a single person is composing something as complex as this, where you have a lot of different instruments going on, you can really kind of hear it in the solos, or it's the same person, because whether it's like the orchestra hits, or it's the it's, it's the piano, it's the sax, like it sounds like it's the same person playing it, at least in my ears, like it's like the same person like if they suddenly like put down the piano and went to grab a saxophone and started playing like the personality is the same they have the whole image in their head and i think that's that is important the fact that it's two composers primarily right but right? but um well it looks like it looks like it was divided because divided yeah it specifically says okay this comp- this guy did all these songs and this other guy did all these songs they probably like both like picked a set and just picked a number and just were like we're just gonna separate and do this yeah for sure but if you listen to the whole soundtrack which i completely recommend um even in the songs that we play today you're gonna hear a lot of recurring themes in terms of like probably like the same kind of key they're in but also like kind of the same chords that um definitely not with the first song the first song the other song was different but the factory song is gonna sound a lot like the airship song which is like sound like like they're kind of playing off the same motif this is also why you think you probably brings in more of that stronger thought process of it's probably one person doing this yeah yeah so let's um so that was the factory stage factory stage that is my number two number two and then the last one is going to be the carnival stage also known as the amusement park stage now this one was also done by mitohiko takano Composing a range for Marvel versus Capcom 2. There we go. church. Mm-hmm. 
if you listen closely, there's two different guitar sounds going on and that in that in, that, in the pocket. Yeah. Bam, bam, that's one guitar sound where it's like more trebly distorted and the second one's a lot lower, like um, less treble. Yeah, I hear that. I hear that. Yeah. I, I think there's some chucking a little bit at some parts, right? Yeah. But it's like it's it's two different guitar sounds, so it's, it was definitely done as, as two uh, separate tracks. I mean, as tight as that sounds, you could tell the drums, at least to me, the drums are, they're, they're MIDI because like, yeah, there's no, um, there's not a lot of reverb to the cymbals. To like, me, I think what gives it away is the fills. They sound a little bit too stiff. They sound stiff, yeah. They sound a little bit, not that's like a bad thing. It works with the song, but as someone who plays drums, it just sounds a little stiff to me, like almost sounds like something was calibrated to some extent or like just hit with a keyboard or something. No, but, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But I picked this one because I really like the bass, like uh, especially like halfway when it's just doing the solo. But I also really like the melody that the guitars play, the two guitars as you were talking about. Yeah. And... Again, the horns, very iconic for this song. You know, as I said, a lot of the three songs I picked, um, I try to emphasize the horn sounds to some form of aspect, of course. Excuse me. But it's just indicative of their sound. You know, it's like part of their, their image in a way. And I really like it. And the carnival stage, to me, doesn't sound like a carnival, like a traditional carnival, right? This sounds like a jazz fusion fusion type of groove, right? And it's it's a lot of fun. It's a very it sounds a lot of fun. Again, this drums are a little little stiff, probably like controlled to some aspect. Bass just fucking shining through on this one. And the double guitar layer. I didn't I didn't really I heard the double dual guitars. Then when you brought it up, it kind of reaffirmed that in my head. And yeah, these guys are definitely like jazz trained. It went to school because like you, you can hear it in, in, in the kind of music they play. It's yeah. just, it's, you well, know, like there's, um, there's like bebop fills. Like in the song I'm gonna play later, like you hear like the typical bebop fills, and it's well done. But it, it sounds like these guys know what they're doing. You know, they just didn't pick this up off off the street or something. Yeah, yeah. Again, I just want to reinstate that. Like, since they didn't weren't, rest- I mean. They, they didn't work on the previous one, but this one, I feel like they, they were given more freedom compared to the previous titles. Right. Because the last one, they were trying to get War Machines theme. They were trying to do Wolverines. They're trying to do here. Yeah. They're just like, OK, so just do something. Make it sound good. Yeah. Just make it sound good. Just make it sound like it's it's part of the game or something like the gameplay wise. Now, I wonder if the stages were done before the music or vice versa, or if they even saw the stages before they made the music. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a good question. 
I would imagine so, at least with the Desert Sage, but not, not with all of them. But, yeah. Um, so, yeah, so that was your, your three songs. Uh, that was Desert Stage, Factory Stage, and Carnival Stage. And then I'm going to do a couple of songs, but before we get into that, I just want to talk a little bit more about uh, the game. So, interestingly enough, you mentioned that you played this game on... It was the dig- the digital download, right? Digital downloads. It was on the Xbox. Xbox Live Arcade. Yeah, Live Arcade, exactly. Yeah. So, I, I still have my original copies of run here, but... Um, you can't get this game right now. If you want to go out, and obviously you, you're not going to find a hard copy unless it's used. Yeah. But if most games nowadays you can find on Steam or something, you know, there's some sort of digital download to buy. Somewhere, right? Somewhere, somehow, like tons of games. Not Marvel vs. Capcom 2. Yeah, unfortunately. It must be something to do with the licensing it's, or the copyrights. It's I definitely the licensing, yeah. And I believe it makes sense that they had... Um, Capcom probably had about a 20-year license with Marvel because I think Punisher came out in 93. And then um, Marvel vs. Capcom 2 was no longer sold online in 2013. So it's, it, was, it, was, it was about 20 years. Yeah, I do remember uh, Maximilian. He's a YouTuber. He's a fighting game YouTuber, and he also streams. I watch his content. He and a bunch of other YouTubes started a hashtag, if I remember correctly. I believe it was something along the lines of hashtag free Marvel versus Capcom 2 in in some, some yeah, form free, or way. Free MVSC2 or something like that. Yeah. yeah, something like that. And I believe that, I believe it worked to some extent, right? No, you still, you still can't you, get the game. Yeah, you still can't get it now, but... Um, well, for, uh, for, I read a little bit about it. Um, so basically Disney bought... Um, they yeah, had Marvel um, and they bought Marvel, and then later on they bought all of 20th Century Fox. Yeah, but at one point um, Disney still had they had like console games, and I, I don't know if they actually had plans to come out with an actual like actual hardware console. I think that may have been worked out at some point, but they had rights to Marvel characters, X Men characters. So yeah, and, and they were saving that for their own games rather yeah. than you know like promoting. Marvel vs. Capcom, you know, um, Capcom games, one suspects that they were saving it for their own stuff, and obviously all these Marvel Cinematic Universe movies that have been coming out in the last 10 years. Unfortunately, yeah, since all the characters, like a majority of the characters had like a film of some kind mm-hmm. with Disney, they're going to do the copyright, I would imagine, based on just the characters. Like each character you need to buy the copyright for or use the licensing. Because, again... Marvel versus Capcom. I mean, Marvel wasn't as popular as it is now back in the 90s when it was still comic books and stuff, right? I mean, it, it was still popular, don't get me wrong, right? But the mainstream popularity has definitely happened after the MCU um, films. And unfortunately, that's going to cause Disney to see what they have. And if you're business oriented, you know, it's just smart business moves, right? Is just, you know, trying to get the maximum amount of money about whatever product you have. Yeah, Disney Disney doesn't, doesn't give a fuck about the people who just want to play the game. They, sh- they want their own shit. <laughs> exactly. They just want people buying whatever Disney makes. So and, and Disney we're talking about here. They've been doing this for a long time. Long ass time. And they're taking over. <laughs> right. So thankfully, recently, um, I think it was like late September, a company called Arcade One Up 
they announced and quickly, quickly sold out a Marvel vs. Capcom 2-themed arcade cab. Beautiful, beautiful cab. Beautiful art on the sides. Looks just like the real thing. You know, it is a real thing in a way. Um, and it didn't just come with the game, Marvel vs. Capcom 2, but also all the originals. Uh, Marvel vs. Capcom 1, Marvel Super Heroes vs. Street Fighter, X-Men vs. Street Fighter, uh, Children of the Atom, and a couple of others like Mutant Apocalypse and War of the Gems. And it even has Wi-Fi for online play, so it, it, it's pretty cool. Six hundred dollars yeah. for this massive—that's not thing. too bad for an arcade cabinet, right? And if I had the space, I would totally dish out six hundred dollars for this shit. Yeah, <laughs> it's beautiful, man. Yeah, it looks really cool. It, it's definitely, definitely something you need in like a man cave of some form, or like your gaming space. I'll just lay it in my bed and sleep, sleep next to it at night. Oh, there you go. Just that—that that would hurt your back. <laughs> I don't want to promote this. I am not promoting this in any way. But if you're somebody who really, really wants to play Marvel vs. Capcom 2, there is a way. If you have Uh-oh. a PC, it's called emulation. Yeah. Get think- on it. <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, that is... Um- that is illegal. I am not promoting it. I am just educating people that it, it exists. Well, I mean, if you have an original copy of the game, you're fine. Oh, yeah, yeah, you're fine. Yeah. <laughs> you're just backing it up. Yeah, just just a quick backup, bro. You're just creating backups. I'm just backing it up, Disney. Digital preservation. Don't I mean, sue us. You know, digital preservation is such an important topic. That's something I would like to get into the, into the future. But there is, you know, like even CDs go bad after like 30 years or so. Um, things break down. Yeah. Or are no longer sold. Like just for the mere like point of saving it, preserving it. We should be able to digitally preserve everything, you know. The thing I would like to relevate this to, it will be a very interesting to talk about because this is actually have real world, like there's historical stuff for real life about this. Because imagine writing stuff on papyrus. That's not going to last long, right? So this is like almost our modern version of that, of lost writings or lost works. No, absolutely. So it's a trend that happens in just modern human history. And it's it it would be something cool to look at, another topic, another time, to look at the comparisons of, like, old writings on, like, again, papyrus or, like, animal skin and, like, kind of comparing that nowadays with, like, CDs, VHS, like, a lot of digital or, like, stuff like that is getting lost, and it's like we have to back that up to like a cloud of some kind or a server backup now to keep it like for a while. And a lot of people are doing that. That's what like archive.org is. You can actually find a lot of ROMs on archive.org. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the Wayback Machine. I was Wayback doing, Machine, yep. That's I was one. doing a research uh, for my other podcast, Quick Plug, Saturday Night Lit, Saturdays, 8.30 p.m. Eastern. And um, I f- thankfully I found on the Wayback Machine um, some old research paper. Like, oh, dude, if it wasn't for this this um the wayback machine that is preserving this old content from 93 not even that long ago was it a specific event no it was just an old website that's just no longer around because they didn't Uh, keep it up yeah yeah that that happens unfortunately but another important point i want to make before we go back to the music is it has to be decentralized because if uh, yeah obviously disney has the rights for you know to marvel's capcom 2 but if they, you know, if they decide to, they don't care, they're just going to get it deleted or somehow it gets destroyed in some sort of like server fire or something. That stuff does happen. And one thing I want to quickly mention to, again, relevate the situation with lost media film. 
that's happening that's happening with film with older films i know because like again a lot of those films are made on like you know those uh highly flammable materials real to real yeah yeah and and again they usually get stored like films like that get stored in like salt caves to to preserve them it's only specific films but again there's a bunch of other films that are just being lost in some archive yeah so and that's really kind of what we're doing here is like we're not only preserving our own memories but this music it's here it's um you you could listen to it obviously i'd suggest as it's just playing the game playing yeah, the game yeah, play supporting the, game. the original artist or getting your own copy but at least you could listen to it here and our memories so let's finish off the last couple of songs this one's really cool this is cave stage and this one is cave stage it's done by tetsuya shibata and marvel versus capcom 2 here we go let me do a quick little um uh intro to this this to me sounds like if they're trying to do like a steely dan feel because it it has some kind of like to me staples of steely dan um especially the way it starts and that um a, a couple of fills in the piano that goes down up to just to me it sounds real steely dan but especially the breakdown one thing i want to just point out about steely dan i do hear it a little bit um, just a little bit. It's an intro thing. Steely Dan, they begin the majority of their songs with the same chord. I think it's called like the Mew chord. But if, if we could rewind this a little bit at the beginning, I kind of I kind of hear something kind of like, you know, familiar with that Mew chord. Yeah, absolutely. Here we go. Cave stage. That's an upright. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a deeper sound in bass. quickly uh, prime people this is like the build-up that leads to that little like breakdown with the with the offset piano and it starts here after she, after she says you got a heartache and it's just like it's just so well done so well composed i love it And how they place that piano like on off beats on the end of two, end of three, end of four, and then it comes back on the one. Yeah. Re- rewind a little bit on that. That's a that's a good part. 
with the fills leading into it. Oh, yeah. So good. Yeah. I'm counting it differently in my head because I'm following the hi-hat. And for me, with hi-hats, it's always on E-ender where I count it. Yeah, but there's still an and, so it's e oh, yeah, and, yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 e and, uh, but like the, it's like the, it's like when you hit the hi-hat and then open up the hi-hat, and then you gotta compensate for the opening where it's like rings, you know, so that's like the carryover, you know, e and, uh, like uh, with the open, so that's how I just count that in my head as a drummer. Yeah, well, I, I was talking about the, the, the piano where it was hitting. Yeah, ding, yeah, no, ding, I know, I ding, know. Ding, ding. I know, but I do like that drum part. You know what I mean? Yeah, so good. <laughs> so that was the cave stage. Yeah, very good. Again, it doesn't sound like a cave to me, <laughs> you know, but I think this is more indicative of the freedom they have. You know, maybe they were given like a one word type of thing for the music, like cave or, or factory or something like that. That's what I'm noticing with these songs are kind of like one word. Or like just you know just a. This is a, a darker song out of out of the, all of them. You know, it's it's yeah yeah. It's still upbeat and it goes into it, but there's a lot of more um darker tones used. Deeper tones, yeah. Especially with that upright. Yeah. Like a walking. But bass. he's like he's like popping around with it. You know what I mean? Like he's like walking around with that bass, doing like walk up, stand downs, that that whole spiel. And the last one I'm gonna put is clock tower stage. And what's cool about the clock tower stage, just in the back, you see a giant clock tower and the clock is actually set. It's, it's, it's set to, um, whatever console time or arcade system time, time exactly, was calibrated. Yeah. yeah. So it is actually accurate. It's pretty cool. It, it moves w with the game and this is clock tower stage. This is actually done by clock tower, clock tower. Oh, same guy. Tetsuyoshi, um, Shibata, Mar versus Capcom 2. So this sounds to me a lot like the, the the factory song. Like it's it has the same kind of like I guess the um, the flow of the chords. It's, it sounds very similar. So let's start it again. There's more space in this song. Like, yeah, there's more openings for this song. In the sense of all the instruments are not just like essentially dogpiling. That guitar is definitely plugged in. What type of guitar is sound is that that kind of reminds me of like that's a strat that's for sure yeah um, it's a single coil it kind of sure. reminds me of that like 80s i mean 70s jazz scene you know type of playing not like rock style you know what i mean obviously not like rock style but it's like smooth and clean it's a definitely clean guitar but it's also definitely plugged in for yeah, sure yeah the, the di what you're saying is somebody's directly playing to the instrument to the computer system Right, it's going into um, an audio interface that's you know taking the analog sound and digitizing it. But what's interesting, I, I, what I like about the song is that it, the um, the melody goes. It starts off with the horns, then it goes to the guitar. Then you can hear it's 
no it first starts with the piano then it goes to the yeah. guitar then it goes to the horns it, it's just, it, and it, it reminds me a lot of like that's how old jazz a lot of old jazz was particularly a charlie parker tune i think it was um scrapple from the apple yeah and, and it did the same exact thing where first the guitar were played and then the, the, it's really cool but let's finish off song I like that part. Bebop licks. Yeah, yeah. So, I wasn't going to play the next song, but I just realized that the melody they're playing is the same as the vocal melody in River Stage. So oh. I, I I do want to play um, at least because as you notice the songs we're playing they get repeated twice it's on a loop so yeah I want to play at least one loop of River Stage River Stage it's probably by Tetsuya Shibuya very quickly I do want to say this is definitely like a playlist song to me this is like the other songs even my picks still feel like they're in the category of a stage song like in the sense this is a stage you know this is a song made for like a fighting game stage obviously. This song I feel differently. This kind of feels more of like a like a not a jam, obviously, but like something I could listen to just casually, right? Because it's not it doesn't have a particular theme, I guess. It doesn't have anything like that. It just sounds like jazz guys who just made a song. all these songs are jazz guys <laughs> yeah no 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 yeah definitely but you know what i'm saying right like i'm not sure honestly this one has a very good just laid back easy listening to oh for sure yeah and well, i think i prefer music like that like kind of currently like just laid back music and stuff what i like about this mostly is the space Everyone has a chance to play solo. The previous songs we played, you know, it was primarily one instrument that did most of the solos and whatnot. This one, they they have more freedom. They have the guitar do its thing. It has a guitar do, I mean, the uh, the piano do its thing. Has that little horn section do its thing. I like it. It's good spacing. It doesn't feel like a lot of the songs kind of felt like it was not compressed, but a lot of the musicians were like on top of each other. And this one sounds... It, it sounds more like a radio song in a sense, 
right? Like something that's played on a jazz radio. Yeah, it's definitely not as tightly packed as the other ones for sure. Yeah. It's still on point, but it's you're right, there's definitely a lot more space. So like, like I said, that, that that melody they play, I think it's the very same one as the vocal melody for River Stage. And I also want to feature the, the vocalist. I don't have her name, but she, she's a good vocalist. Here we go. This is River Stage. <laughs> guy's doing a shuffle. He's doing a drum shuffle. see what you're talking about now they do share simil similarities oh well, this is definitely the better part drive me crazy but i won't let you go So good. <laughs> so fun. I do good. see what you're talking about. They do share a similarity. But again, I feel like the previous song, again, is a little bit more open. This oh, one yeah, still yeah. has that feeling of a lot of musicians on top of each other, but not in, not in a bad way. I'm referring to yeah. just the, the, actual, the actual notes. Yeah, oh, the actual melody. Okay, yeah. Yeah, because and and it's similar to the, to the other one, to, to um, not Desert, but Factory. So they're, oh, yeah. They're actually just pulling from like this. I, I think they, they created like an idea and then like okay, let's make different versions of this idea so it's all kind of together like all the songs have a similar motif so it's not like complete separate jazz songs yeah but they're all like together in a way um i'm thinking maybe it's more like a melody that he like they feel comfortable with right like for me as a drummer like i don't learn like every rudiment i just learn the ones that i feel inclined to right and i just reuse those for like anything project wise right um i'm not saying exactly that i'm just saying like maybe that has a part of it maybe they just like have a melody they're comfortable with it's like a, almost like a default melody and they're just like what do we do here well just just rework this yeah. that's my thought i mean we're just speculating here yeah but we also gotta remember they these are professional yeah, composers um and that's that's what you do for for games like like you take a theme and then you build different things around that theme um you know like like you're saying a melody is like something that they're comfortable with absolutely but yeah. but they're trying to do that not just like oh i only know one song i'm going to do different versions of the song no no it's no. more like they 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 know the melody it's like the melody is like a multi tool right exactly they yeah. could like just take that melody because that's a lot of music too a lot of music is like you don't need to be like a fast player or like an amazing player you just need to learn like a couple scales or whatever and you just rework those into like different sounds or different timing and like i think it's it's probably like you know there's the professionalism behind it but then again like um the, the fact that they had the freedom the openness in this game instead of 
making a specific like Captain America theme. I feel like with the openness, they were probably, you know, reaching back to their own personal music stuff and just bringing it out and just reworking it a couple times, right? I don't know. To me, a lot, a lot of songs sound similar. That's all I'm trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> Not in a bad way. Like, they're all very no, different. No, no, it's all good. Yeah. But they are following a similar theme. Like, that's that's basically my it's point. It's like somebody who has a tool set, and they got, like, a set of tools that they could rely on. And that's what a musician is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. And the more tools you have, the better. So that was Marvel versus Capcom 2 New Age of Heroes. Oh, and I, I have to play the player select screen real quick. Oh, yeah, go for it. Probably one of the top tier player selection music in all of gaming. This and maybe a third strike. The player selection is like one's ingrained in my brain. So anything else you want to say? Um, uh, this was Marvel vs. Capcom 2. We did the analysts and we broke it down. I hope you enjoyed it. Please check out the website. Please, yes. I'm Audio. begging you. <laughs> Audio Ghost Please. Miami. This has been Chimp and Marcus. I think we're cool enough to visit at least once. All right, we hope to see you next week. Uh, Marcus has uh, some reviews lined up, right? Yes, I will be reviewing Gundam Evolution, maybe Scorn. Um, I haven't beaten Scorn all the way yet, but it's a uh, very H.R. Geiger-esque. But for people who don't know, that's the artist for Alien. Nice, nice. And then we're definitely going to do a, a Halloween episode since that is coming up real soon. So once again, thank you. This has been Minor Details. Peace.